Good morning. How are y'all doing? I'm uh, going to say y'all a lot because I'm from North Carolina, so just going to put that disclaimer out there. Um, man, your church has been a gift to our family over the last couple of days. Um, you are so kind, so welcoming, and just exude the spirit of Jesus in such a tangible way. So thank you um, for just modeling what it looks like to be a church that lifts the name of Jesus, that loves people the way Jesus loves people. Our family's blessed because of it. We've made some really good friends here. Uh, I'm grateful for Ryan. Uh, Ryan spoke something very specific into my life about a year and a half ago when we were, my wife and I had been praying about a step of faith that God was calling us to make. I was nervous about it. I was scared. And then Ryan just texted me and said, hey, I feel like God put you on my heart. And he spoke something that was exactly what we needed at that moment. So I'm thankful for how he follows the Spirit and for what the Spirit of Jesus is doing in your church. So just wanted to say, this is our new home away from home in Phoenix. Um, So whenever we're out here, we're going to come to Living Streams. We love you guys. Um, And let me just share with you just a few fun facts about me and our family so we can get to know each other in the short time that we have. Number one, I did bring my family with me. So I have my wife, Ferris. We've been married for 17 years. So she's the love of my life. She's awesome. And then I have three daughters. I'm a girl dad. So I have twins, Adley and Liana, who are 14. So they're going through all the teenage girl stuff right now. So pray for me. Um, I get double that. It's a double blessing, double portion. And then my youngest daughter, Sydney, she's 10. She was in the first two services, but she is roaming around here somewhere right now, but she's the one who really runs our family. Um, I feel like it, it works out that way a lot with the youngest, but I've got four women in the house. I'm outnumbered, so the word count in the Joy household is extremely high, so I've learned the skill of pretending I can pay attention to four simultaneous conversations at the same time, so any girl dads out there, are you with me on that? Uh, but I can't wait to dive in um, to Galatians. Oh, I forgot some of my other fun facts. Hold on, I got to share this. Um, We are going, this is our first time in Phoenix, so we're going to Grand Canyon next week. We tried to, uh, we tried hiking yesterday and realized we are not experienced hikers because going up was one thing, going down was a whole different thing. We did not look very coordinated or graceful, but we survived. So if you have any Grand Canyon tips, let me know. I would, I would love to know what we need to see, what we need to do, and how we need to survive next week. Uh, I served for 15 years at Elevation Church as the worship pastor there, and in the last year and a half have stepped out just to serve other churches and other worship ministries, so we're thankful for that. I'm a nerd. I love Star Wars. I love anything geek related. Yes, I have a Star Wars fan back there, maybe a couple, my people. And finally, for the first 16 years of my life, uh, my name wasn't Wade Joy. It was Wade Strickland, but we're going to come back to that a little bit later in the message. Um, but I'm excited, like I said a second ago, to be in Galatians. This is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, and it's a book that God keeps bringing me back to in this season of life, so it just felt like a natural fit for me to get in the flow with you guys today. So we're going to start with Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and go to chapter 4, verse 7. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out, and we're going to dive right in. Verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So let me stop right there. And this is the good news of the gospel, that all the hierarchies that used to exist in the old covenant about who had access to God and when those don't exist anymore, because we're aware of differences, but those differences don't impact salvation. Salvation is by faith in Christ Jesus alone. So that is good news. That's the foundation that we're building on for the rest of the message. So this is going to be our main text starting in chapter 4. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you're in our midst, that you are with us as your word is preached, as the gospel is proclaimed, as the name of Jesus is exalted, that you are magnifying yourself. You're speaking to our hearts. And so, God, give us ears to hear what you would have to say to each one of us. And we love you, Lord. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm a, I'm a history buff. I, I was a history major in college. Did nothing with it after college, so i um, thankful for all the money spent there. But uh, I, I do love history. And there's historical context to what Paul's talking about that we need to be brought up to speed on, but the readers of Galatians would have known exactly what Paul is talking about. Kind of like when I say the word lightsaber, you think of? See, I, I told you I'm a Star Wars fan. That's the only Star Wars reference in the message, though. Um, but so Paul, when he writes this, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. To us, that isn't exactly the way our world works. But for everyone reading Galatians, they would have known exactly what Paul is talking about. They would have had this image. So let me bring us up to speed on that. Because in Roman culture, a son wasn't fully considered a son until they were 14. So prior to the age of 14, they, um, they basically were lower in status than the slaves and the servants in the house. They had no rights as heirs. They weren't considered a son. But once they turned 14, and they actually before that, they were under the guardianship of a trustee. But once they turned 14, in a moment, they became a son. There was a ceremony. They became a son. And they were even after that, though, they were kept under guardianship of a curator until they were 25 to fully take on all the benefits as heirs. But before 14, they were treated like a slave or a servant. After 14, they were a son. So they, they experienced the fullness of sonship. But if you were in the elite circles of Rome, if you were a senator or something like that, it was vital that you were able to pass down your namesake, your inheritance, your power, your prestige. So if they didn't have a biological heir, 
then they would adopt. So they would find a son from a poor uh, household, from a family of lower economic status. They would pay to adopt this son, and they would bring this son into their family. And once this ceremony was done, it had seven witnesses. It was a very important thing in Rome. Then in an instant, that adopted son had all the full rights as any biological member of that family. So it was a binding, it was a powerful agreement uh, in Rome, so much so that even some of the emperors became emperor because they were adopted into the imperial family. So that's a nice history lesson. What does that have to do with what God wants to speak to us today? Well, as I was preparing for this message, I felt like the Holy Spirit showed me how in my life I've had... um, a similar journey that might bring home the truth of God's Word to your life in a personal way if I share it. So like I said, I, I grew up for the first 16 of the years of my life uh, as Wade Strickland. So you have two loving parents, amazing parents. They're watching, I think they've watched every service now online back in Charlotte. But they love me. They, they're amazing grandparents to our kids. But a lot of people don't know that my father technically started as my stepfather. Because when my parents, uh, when my mom married my biological father, um, they moved to California. And once in California, uh, she found out that he had this whole double life. So they had me, and then everything came out into the open. And she found out that my biological father, whose name was William Wade Strickland, senior. I was a junior. We called him Big Wade, which isn't a short joke, even though I am very short now, but it just made sense back then. Big Wade, it came out that he was um, addicted to cocaine. He was a money launderer, white-collar criminal, um, trafficked drugs, had multiple women and multiple affairs, and just was not a good husband or a good father. And so my mom took us away from him, and we hid in women's shelters for about six months, and then she moved back to South Carolina to live with her parents. And so I didn't have much of a relationship at all with Big Wade after the age of four. Um, And honestly, I I didn't really have a relationship with him until he passed away a few years ago. But thankfully, God brought another man into my mom's life named Howard Joy. And Howard is an amazing man, and he quickly became a father figure to me and just was there. He was present. He was loving. And they eventually got married when I was seven. And uh, at the age of 16, he adopted me. And we wanted to wait till I was 16 because my parents wanted me to have a say in it. And I wrote a letter to Big Wade at the time and said, uh, I want to identify for the rest of my life with Howard as my dad. And so uh, when I was 16, I was adopted. I think we have a picture of the certificate. And so on March 23rd, on that day, my old status as William Wade Strickland changed to William Wade Joy in an instant. Once that was signed, I had a new last name. Legally, I had a new father. But it took me years to fully embrace what that meant because for years I still called him Howard. I, for some reason, I couldn't, it didn't feel natural to call him dad. I don't know if I'd put walls up, if it was just that it was awkward. But I loved him as a dad. He loved me. But I never fully opened my heart as a son. And so several years later, I felt like I was like, this is silly. He is my dad in every respect, in every sense of the words. On Father's Day, I wrote him this letter and said, from now on, you're not Howard to me. 
your dad. And ever since, he's been dad. Now he goes more by granddaddy than dad. But even though my status changed in court, it took years for me to fully experience the fullness uh, as a son. It took me years to fully embrace my identity as William Wade Joy. And so that's not just me taking you down memory lane in my life, because I believe God put on my heart as I was praying for you guys, because this has been me in many seasons of my life with the Lord, that I don't fully understand what it means for God to love me like a son. And maybe you don't understand what it means for God to love you as a son or as a daughter. And so with all this in mind, I want us to revisit the passage because we need to grasp this. In the New Testament, God is referred to as Father 170 times. So it's important that we grasp what this means, not just intellectually, but in our experience as we live this out every day. So let's revisit the passage. And I want you to notice two aspects of what God sends. The first is this. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So first thing that God sends is God sends the son to change our status, that through his death, through his resurrection, through his perfect fulfillment of the law that we could never live up to, that he imparts his perfect status as a son onto you and I as sons and daughters of God, that when we place our faith in Jesus, when we trust him, when we tie ourselves to him, as Alec talked about last week, then you have in that moment all the full rights as an heir in the kingdom of God. You were bought with a price in the same way that I was rescued from what could have been a very bad life under, under my old biological father, I was rescued into a new life with a new father. Colossians says that when you place your faith in Christ, uh, you have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So when you place your faith in Christ, you have a new status. But God didn't just send Jesus. Paul then writes this, that God sent the Spirit. In verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Tim Keller says this, and I think this is so profound, that God sent the son to change our status, but God sent the spirit to change our experience. God sent the spirit so we could fully embrace our status as sons and daughters of God, because you can mentally understand that you're an heir. You can mentally understand that you have a new status. You can um, believe that Jesus is the cosmic king of the universe, that God our Father uh, rules over all, that he's holy, he's righteous. But to think that that holy, righteous God actually loves you and is intimately involved with your life, even knowing all the secret things about you that no one else knows, to believe that that king actually loves you as a daughter and loves you as a son, we can't understand that on our own. We need the help of the Spirit. So God sent the Son to change our status. God sent the Spirit to help us experience that status. So when you're an heir, you get an inheritance. We usually think of that in terms of money. But our inheritance as a child of God is the Spirit. You get the Spirit. You get God, a relationship with the Lord. It's what we lost in Eden. Now we have been given 
through the sacrifice, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit is your inheritance. The Spirit is also what helps you experience, like I said, the closeness of a relationship with God. So the Spirit isn't an end, or it's not a means to an end, to something better. The Spirit is the end. The Spirit is the prize. A relationship with God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. So the Spirit is a gift of both intimacy and power. It's a gift of truth and relationship. It's a gift of love. See, I had zero relationship with Big Wade, but I've loved Howard as a dad because he first loved me as a son, and he drew near to me. And in the same way, we love God because he first loved us. But once again, I know it can be hard to believe that for yourself. And Jesus said the Spirit was sent to remind us of truth, of all truth. And so I want to give you just four aspects of the Spirit as your inheritance, what you have in the Spirit of God that I want you to hold on to in the moments when you don't feel it, when you don't believe it, when you don't act like it. If you're in Christ, this is true for you as a child of God, as an heir. They all start with A, so if you're a note taker, um, hopefully you can remember these, but just write them down. Number one, you have access. You have access. Now, I mentioned I was a history major in college. I love American history. I love studying presidents and everything. One of my favorite pictures is this picture of JFK with his son, JFK Jr. And just the beautiful picture that is of access, the most powerful man in the world that most people would, would tremble in front of because you'd be so nervous, a son just comes boldly into their presence as a father. A daughter can come up and wake them up in the middle of the night and ask for water. And you have that same access to your heavenly Father. It's what Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, a lot of times I feel like I have to make sure that I had my quiet time that day and I treated my wife just right. And if I did all these things and I, you know, I read my Bible a certain amount, if I did all those things, then maybe God will hear my prayers. But because of the cross, you don't have to, to work your way up to access. God has freely given you that access in Christ. It's the same thing that, which is, as this, it's mind-blowing that anybody could come into a president's office and be that comfortable. But in the same way, under the old covenant, it would have been unthinkable to have that kind of access to God. The Israelites could never have imagined coming into the presence of God at any time of any day, no matter how they were feeling, how they had acted. But for us in Christ Jesus under the new covenant, that's normal. That's our reality. That's why prayer is so important. We have access to the almighty God, our Father, at any moment of the day. He wants us to draw near to him, to come boldly before him. So you have access. You also have affection. You have affection. I love what Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we experience the love of God through the Spirit. It's been poured out into our lives. So you have the affection of your Heavenly Father. And this is the point where I was really praying for you coming into this week, because I know it can be very hard to hear a message about God as a perfect father when your father on earth has been anything but perfect. You might have had a similar situation to me with my biological father, but you never got your Howard. You never got the person to model what a loving father was like. You never had access 
to a good father. So you don't understand how God could love you like that. You've experienced abandonment. You've experienced pain. Some of you have experienced abuse. And if that's you, I am so sorry that that has been the road that you have walked. But God is not like that. He is a loving father. He is a perfect father. He is a father that wants to draw near to you. And some of you, I just as I was praying before this service, I feel like you've been trying your whole life to prove yourself to your dad that you're worthy of love. And the Lord wants me to say to you today that you don't have to act like that with him. You don't have to prove that you're worthy to your heavenly father because he already sent his son to die for you to show how much he loves you, that you already have the thing that you're working to prove. You already have his acceptance and his love. And so you have the affection of God. And when it's hard for us to stir up that same affection back to him because we're human and our feelings are all over the place, we just have to focus our hearts on the cross because God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when we reflect on that love, the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts to love God. So that's why worship is important. Gathering like this is important because it turns our hearts and affection to our Father. All right, the third thing, you have authority. You have authority. When you have a powerful Father, you walk into a room with a little different swagger than if you didn't. So you have a new relationship with your heavenly father, but this relationship also comes with responsibility because when someone was adopted in Rome, they weren't just adopted in to enjoy the comfort of the family. They were adopted in to bear the family's authority and responsibility, to carry on the family name, to honor it, to to run the family business. So there was a responsibility. And so in the same way for us, when we are brought into the family of God, We're freed from having to earn our way into that family. We've been brought in by grace, but now we're called to live in a way that honors our Father. We're we're called to live in a way that glorifies His name, that magnifies His name. So you have a responsibility as a son and as a daughter. You have a responsibility to forgive, and you have the authority to do it. The Holy Spirit has empowered you to do that. You have the responsibility to be generous, to serve those in need, to conduct yourself in a way that honors the name of the living God. So you're not under law. Paul was trying to tell the Galatians, like a a boy who had turned 14 and moved from a slave to a son would never want to go back to being a slave. Yet so many of us, we've been brought in as a son to the kingdom of God, yet we keep trying to revert back to our old way of life. And Jesus is calling us to live in the full freedom of the gospel. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the ABCs of following God, which the law was like a tutor, and the Israelites couldn't even keep that. But through the power of the Spirit, we can actually live the life God created us to live. So you have authority to live that through the power of the Spirit. And then finally, and this is where we're going to land today, you have assurance you have assurance. So Romans 8, 16 says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See, there are going to be times the enemy tells you, maybe right now you're hearing this voice in your head. Okay, God loves other people like that, but not you. Because you've sinned too much. You've, um, you've walked out on your responsibility, maybe a father in this room, you've abandoned your family and you're like, how could God ever love me when I've done that to my family? Maybe you're thinking, well, I've I've watched this too many times. I've lost my temper too many times. There's no way 
God could love me like that. And I want you to know if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you have called upon the name of Jesus to save you, then you are forgiven. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So you do not have to feel shame over what God has forgiven you of. And sometimes our shame keeps us from embracing God as our Father because the enemy keeps telling us that, no, it's not true for you. It's not true for you. I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's word, it is true for you if you've called upon the name of Jesus. So that's one element of assurance. But there's another one that God has really been dealing with me about. See, out of the three times that, that Abba is used in the New Testament, which Abba is an Aramaic word that is just, it's the closest term of endearment that a child can have for their parent, whether they're a, a child or even an adult child. Like when you say Abba, it implies closeness and intimacy of relationship. Well, Jesus uses this word in Mark 14, 36, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's on his knees before the Father and he's asking if there's another way. This is what he says. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So in that moment, Jesus is saying, in the closest, most intimate word he had human vocabulary for, he was drawing close to his father and basically asking God, can you change your mind on this? But Jesus, being the perfect example for us, said, not my will, but your will be done. Because when you know your father, your perfect father, you can trust your father. And Jesus trusted that his father's way was good that his father's way was right, but he trusted most of all that his father was with him even in that moment of despair. And I believe some of you need to hear that this morning, that God is with you. You are not forgotten. You have not been left behind, but the Lord sees your struggle right now. Uh, My youngest daughter, Sydney, she has cystic fibrosis, and it's a serious medical condition of your lungs and your intestines. And it can be very, very um, scary, but God in his mercy has, she's doing amazingly well. She's very healthy now. But she has a, a G-tube where she can get extra calories and she gets, you know, three um, things of formula a day through that. But her G-tube, she calls it her tubi. And it can fall out. And if it falls out, you have to put a new one back in within an hour or it'll close up and you have to do the surgery again. And when she was younger, she would freak out if she ever had to change her tubi because it would hurt it would be painful. It was scary. Uh, now she's a champ. She can do it all herself. But there's a, there was a time that the Lord brought to mind for me this morning as I was praying for y'all. Of My parents were watching Sydney. They were away from the house. The tubi fell out. They didn't have a spare tubi. So they rushed to the hospital. They call me at work. And they say, hey, can you run to the house real quick and see if there's a spare tubi just in case they don't have one at the hospital? So I break all kind of traffic laws to get to the house. No tubi there. Praying they have one at the hospital. I get there. Thankfully, they do have one there. But Sydney is not letting anyone touch her. She is not letting anyone put the tubi in. And so I I, I get as close as I can to her because Ferris hadn't gotten there yet. And she's just screaming and she's crying. And I try to get as close to her as I can. I was like, Sydney, Daddy's here. I love you. Just if you calm down, if you stop fighting, they'll be able to get the tubi in, and it won't hurt anymore. 
And she's like, Daddy, don't let him do it. Daddy, I don't want this to happen. And finally, though, after just like saying, just look at me, just keep your eyes focused on me, she stops fighting, and the tube goes in. And what I was struck was how much trust I felt from her, even in her pain, even though she didn't want it to happen, she trusted that I was with her, that I was right there in her pain. I was so close. And how much more does the Father love you? How much more is the Father close to you right there in the thing that you wish you didn't have to walk through, you wish you didn't have to deal with, the thing that you think makes you not lovable by the Father? He's right there in it, showing you ready to just pour out his love into your life if you would just receive it. I think one of the most famous um, stories of a father in Scripture is the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus told. And we can hear this one so much that we lose the power of it. But there's two sons. One son just wants to live life their own way. They reject their status, and they just run off. They blow their inheritance, but then they come back and they receive the mercy of the Father. And that's the one that we usually focus on. But then you have the second son who never left. They lived in that status, but they were bitter and they were angry. And the Father said, hey, everything I have is yours. See, that son never experienced the full heart and the full love of their Father. And maybe that's you today. You've been in church your whole life it feels like and your heart feels like it's grown cold to the father's love for you and the holy spirit wants to wake your heart up this morning so i don't know if it's you feel like you've run away and you're not worthy of the love of a father and god's saying no come home or if you're like yes i believe all this but god help me to experience the fullness of it break up the fallow ground of my heart wherever you're at on that journey your father says come home I love you, I welcome you, I see you, and I love you. So Stan, I want to pray for you. I'd love to invite the prayer team to the, for, uh, to the front. If there's anything you've done in your life that makes you feel like you're not worthy of the Father's love, it's time to lay that down. Come ask for prayer that God would help you surrender that and receive his love. If you feel like you've just turned this life of faith into going through the motions, and you really want God to open your eyes through the spirit of what it means to be a son and a daughter of God, we'd love to pray over you. Maybe you need to forgive your father. Maybe as we've been talking about this, you realize that you have so much bitterness towards your father, maybe your mother, and God is saying, I want you to forgive them because of how much I've forgiven you. Whatever it is that God is moving in your heart to do right now, let's do business with the Lord. Let's respond in obedience. So Lord, we thank you for the hope of the gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to bring us into the family of God. Thank you for the power of the Spirit that allows us to, to be accepted, to be loved, to, be, to have access, to be empowered to live the life you've called us to live, that we can have assurance that nothing separates us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's in your name that we pray and worship. Amen.